All right, Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehulah, and Mehujiel begat Methuselah, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of such that dwell in tents, and of such have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wonder, to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me seed in the stead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then men, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And thus is the reading of God's word. And all his children said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word unto us, that we might have a better appreciation for your plan of salvation for your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, we move into a new section of Genesis in chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to, well, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel, and we're going to talk about um, things that are associated with that, what lessons the Lord would have us to learn from here. It's certainly on the most superficial of levels. It talks about the history of the family of um, Adam and Eve and what fruit they bore since the fall, and as you can tell, that things fell apart pretty quickly. Um, What we see are two brothers here. We're going to see fratricide, where one brother rises up to kill the other brother, and we'll find out why the reasons why he did that. But also in a very broad and general sex um, um, way, we will see um, certain general truths that we find repeated throughout the entire Scripture. We're going to see two peoples where we will have set before us two different religions by virtue of what things that they are offering. We're going to see that they are two. They also represent uh, two natures, and these are the two natures that come uh, that are manifest in the regenerate uh, man, the one who's been quickened by God. You're going to see the old man, the new man. Man, you'll see the carnal man, and you'll see the spiritual man, and all these things will be manifest in the lives of these two individuals. So the Lord will be teaching us what things we can expect uh, in our lives and in the world as we see them um, bear themselves out throughout the history as recorded of man as recorded in Scripture. And so, again, looking at two people that, um, in, with respect to Cain and Abel and what they represent, I would hope that you could see that in your own family. If, if you are the Christian in your family, you'll see that you're very different from your siblings, that they have different uh, wants and desires, different uh, priorities in their lives, uh, different uh, interests. Um, different focus than what you have. They are earthly-minded, and you should be heavenly-minded. And so we see that in uh, in the Scripture here with respect to Cain and Abel, particularly when you take what's in Genesis 4 here and uh, have it set with uh, against in Genesis chapter 5, and you compare what things the Lord shares us uh, respecting two different people types. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The thing that hath been is that which shall be. Things that have happened in the past are things that are going to happen now, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. So the Lord helps us to appreciate that the patterns set forth in chapter 4 are patterns that we're going to see in Scripture, and it's going to reflect what things we see out in the world as we move forward with our lives. One thing that is immediately set before us is which of the two brothers was the elder, Cain or Abel? Which of the two was the natural man, and which of the two was the spiritual man? This we'll see going forward, and we also see this is true with respect to Esau and Jacob. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 46, the Lord says, Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual. In other words, the spiritual nature of man did not come first. First came the natural, but that which was natural, it says, Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which was natural, and afterwards that which was spiritual. So in Cain and Abel, we see the natural man first, which is Cain, and then we see the spiritual man, that is Abel. Same thing is true with Esau and Jacob. Though they're twins, Esau is born first, he's the natural man, Jacob is the spiritual man. In your life, you were first a natural man before the Lord regenerated you and imparted um, his spirit in you, and then you became a spiritual man. And so now in your flesh you have these two uh, natures that are at enmity one with another, which we'll talk a little bit about uh, later. 
<clears throat> now, with respect to Cain and Abel, as is in true within any Christian family, is as a parent, you teach the gospel to your children. Now, um, Adam and Eve uh, certainly taught the gospel to their children. They were taught the gospel by God. They actually lived it. I mean, they knew what life was like before the fall, and they knew what life was like after the fall. They knew what lesson the Lord came and taught them when the Lord came unto them and clothed them with skin. They saw that an animal had to have been slain and that the Lord did that on their behalf. And then that says in verse um, 21 that the Lord made unto Adam and also his wife coats of skin and he clothed them. So the Lord did everything that was required to cover them and cover them with an animal that had been slain. So blood was shed, teaching that the wages of sin is death. You'll see that all through Scripture. So this lesson was taught to both of these um, men, to Cain and to Abel. Um, what we see moving forward with respect to the offerings that each of these offer up is Abel understood the gospel. He appreciated what the Lord had done for his parents, um, but Cain did not. So we see here in verse 2, it says, And she again, speaking of Eve, bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So they are working in two different uh, professions. Both of them are certainly necessary, and both of them are honorable. What's interesting about the difference between these two professions is that um, prior to Genesis chapter 9, um, men did not eat meat. They ate only the things that were uh, produced of the field. They ate only um, vegetable matter. And that comes from Genesis chapter 18, where the Lord says, Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So certainly you can say that Cain is engaged in a very necessary occupation. He's tilling the ground and he's generating food. And uh, Abel is tending a flock. And so you ask yourself, well, I wonder what the flock would be used for. Well, it belongs to God. It would be God's portion because it would be used for a, the, um, making sacrifices unto the Lord. They're not going to be eating the meat because they do not do that yet. God didn't permit that, as I said, until Genesis chapter 9. So it says, it came to pass that Cain, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So over a period of time, Cain and Abel have both been bringing offerings unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And so you can see that there's clearly a direct relationship here between what somebody offers and whether or not they are acceptable. They themselves, not just the offering, but whether or not God has respect to the offering and a respect unto them. So there's a relationship between the offering and the offerer. Now, I would suggest that this has been going on for a period of time because Cain is becoming um, vexed at the situation, whereas God is not respecting him, and he can see that God is respecting Abel. He can see that Abel is being blessed. Now, you recall when further we'll get into Genesis that uh, Jacob is working for Laban. And uh, Jacob desires to leave Laban and go back home, and uh, Laban says, well, no, I'd rather you stay because I can see that for your sake I am blessed. Laban is enjoying the fruits of the blessing that God has placed upon Jacob. So what things Jacob does, because he's working for Laban, Laban is blessed. So I would suggest to you that Cain can see that Abel is being blessed by the Lord and it's bothering him. So what can we learn from this and what can we appreciate from this is that, you know, I know you've heard the expression said in churches, just come the way you are, God loves you just the way you are. 
Um, and that's not really true. You can come to church just as you are, but you're not going to get to glory just the way you are. I mean, you can come up to um, the Garden of Eden, but you're not going to get past the uh, flaming swords of the cherubim the way you are. You cannot come before the throne of grace the way you are, but you can come through Christ. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, I'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, having predestinated us, God having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The work that God hath done on our behalf through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice of Christ, hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So God does accept us in Christ because of the work that Christ hath done on our behalf. Christ, as you know, is the sacrifice for sin. And that is what is being pointed to here in terms of the sacrifices that are being offered. Is the lamb, or whatever they are offering up, it's... um, He's saying here that uh, Abel is offering up of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. So God is looking and seeing the sacrifice of his son Jesus in the offering that Abel is making. And so Abel is telling the Lord that he certainly understands the consequences and the wages of sin. And he appreciates the fact that he's a sinner. I mean, he's confessing that through making this offering. Whereas Cain is rejecting all of that, that, uh, that notion. Cain is offering up not only the works of his hand, but he's offering up man's portion to God instead of God's portion to God. Um, God had told Adam that what would be the results of his labor in the earth, but thorns and thistles. And so in a representative sense, that which Cain is offering represents sin. And what do we know about uh, the works of our hands? The Lord says, all our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. So Cain has rejected um, the gospel. He has rejected um, the fact that the wages of sin is death. He's rejected the fact that he himself is a sinner and is in need of a substitute. Whereas Cain is making that manifest, that all of that is, in fact, um, true. Um, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we begin to see that this... um, enmity between Cain and Abel takes place because of what um, because of what Abel has done in terms of the sacrifice that he is offering. In verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So God is looking at the sacrifice that Abel is making, and that sacrifice that he is making is indicative that Abel trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the sacrifice that the Lord is going to make on his behalf. He's going to trust in the efficacy of Christ's blood on his behalf, and therefore he is obtaining, he is obtaining witness that he is righteous. God testifying of his gifts that by it he being dead yet speaketh. When Hebrews 11 was written, what the Lord is telling us is that we know that Abel is dead, but yet through this process, he's continuing to preach the gospel because we are looking back to what Abel has done. Now in verse 11, excuse me, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to believe, to please God, because it says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
clearly able believe the gospel and believe that new life would be had, eternal life would be had, through the offering that Christ would make on his behalf. So he believed God and he believed the promises of God, just as I'd mentioned that. Obviously, Adam believed in the promises of God, which is why he chose to um, take from his wife and eat thereof, because he knew that the promise would be manifest through, um, through the grave. Um, so Abel shows that he believes what God is, has taught his parents in, in the uh, preaching of the gospel, and he believes that the promises of God, uh, that he will be rewarded, meaning he will be uh, awarded, receive eternal life through what God has um, done through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as a side note, when you're reading Hebrews chapter 11, if you take out the word faith and insert the word Christ, it'll probably make better sense to you because Christ and faith are synonyms one for another. So you can say that by Christ, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 6, but without Christ, it is impossible to please him. And so the offering is made um, by Abel, indicative that this lamb represents uh, Christ on my behalf. He has died for my sins. So the offering that Abel makes points to the substitutionary offering of Christ himself, and it's a manifestation of his belief that he is in fact a sinner and that um, blood is necessary uh, to be made as an atonement for um, sin. Now, um, interestingly enough, if you look at the um, offerings in the book of Leviticus, the first offering that is set before the Levitical priesthood is a burnt offering where an animal is to be slain. The second offering that is made is referred to what is called a meat offering, which means it's made of the grains of the earth. So uh, with respect to offerings that are made unto the Lord, again, the first one is God's portion. It's an animal. The second portion, the second one is made, would be man's portion. It's from the uh, fruits of the earth. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? His answer is, well, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto the first, that you shall love your um, brother as yourself. So you see, in the commandments are this idea of offering to God his portion first, and then to man his portion. And so uh, Cain would conflate those two. He would offer man's portion to God, which is not acceptable unto God. Um, so... As we move to verse 6 here, uh, verse 5, we see that Cain, his countenance has fallen. He's upset and he's very wroth. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? We can always appreciate that the Lord asks questions trying to drill down into a person's heart. All things are naked and open unto the eyes with whom we have to do. God knows what's in his heart, but he's trying to open up Cain's heart to himself. And there's mercy certainly when the Lord does that. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Uh, that's kind of a mouthful there. What does it mean to do well? What does it mean to do well? Well, it should be obvious what it means to do well. Abel is doing well, and what is Abel doing? He's offering a sacrifice in faith believing in the Lord. So to do well is to trust in Christ that he will be your representative before the God, before God, and that he died on your behalf. So to do well is to look uh, to Christ for all things. Now, in these verses here, um, we see that sin is personified. 
And so he's saying that sin lieth at the door. And what does that mean that sin is lying at the door? Well, um, it says it desires to have the mastery of you and you shall rule over him. Well, um, you're not going to rule over sin. I will share that with you right now. If you look at the uh, Hebrew grammar there, it means that you, you should rule, meaning you should um, endeavor to overcome it. You have an obligation to overcome it. But you can see between verse 7 and verse 8, King uh, does not, in fact, rule over his sin. So God is not speaking in a prophetic sense here that you are going to rule over it because the next thing he does is he goes out into the field and he slays his brother. But what you should appreciate about sin is, is this. The scripture says that sin is deceitful. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it uses that language. In Hebrews 3, 13, it says, uh, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Um, Ephesians speaks about the deceitful lust that we have. And in Romans chapter 7, the Lord sets this battle um, before us about our battle with sin. It says that sin deceived me and slew me. And so when sin is set before us, we get this idea in our head that we will derive some gain from that sin or we will derive some pleasure from that sin, however temporal it might be. But yet that is never the um, fruit of sin. The wages of sin is death. And so we saw that with respect to Eve. Though Eve was deceived by Satan, we read in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3 that she, quote, saw that the tree was good for food. So something was working itself out in her heart. Satan said some things to her. He deceived her. But then it says she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was, quote, pleasant to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and she took thereof and did eat. So this iniquity is becoming manifest and working itself out in her heart, but you can see that from her perspective, she saw that it was good, she, it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was something to be desired. And yet, what was the fruits of what she did? Death. The wages of sin was death. So not only was she deceived by Satan, but she was deceived by sin itself. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 14, the Lord um, says this before us. He says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And he concludes with, Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, don't be blaming anybody else for your sin, because it starts within your heart. It manifests itself um, through... Um, um, lust, and then it bears the fruit of sin, which the fruit of that, of course, is uh, death. So, again, the wages of sin is death. Now, he says, the Lord says in Genesis chapter 4 here, if thou doest not well, if you do not well, then um, there's going to be consequences for that. Now, you have to keep in mind here where we are in terms of the um, fall of man. This is after the fall of man. So, of a truth... Cain is in bondage to sin, he's in bondage to Satan, and he's in bondage to the world. I should put that in another order. Bondage to Satan, sin, and the world. Now, 
He says that sin lieth at your door, and of a truth it's at the door of your heart. And it's, um, it's ever set before us. It's just set before the, the, uh, the Christian as well. Everybody has a battle and struggles with sin. And he says, and thou shalt rule over him, meaning that you have an obligation to overcome and rule over sin. And this is uh, something that is set before the Christian um, as well. It's not like this is something unique for Cain, but the Christian is admonished to um, rule over sin as well. But of a truth, you will never rule over sin in your flesh. You cannot do it in the flesh. You can only do it through Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey the lusts thereof. So the Lord is telling the Christian, that's who the object of verse of Romans 6 is, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Sin is in there, it is in there, but don't let it reign. You'll recall from Galatians chapter 5 verse 17, the Lord says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These two are at enmity one with another, so that you cannot do the thing that you would. So, as I mentioned with respect to Cain and Abel, it's speaking of the two natures that are in every one of us who have been regenerated, that your flesh is lusting against your spirit, and it desires to have you do things that you do not want to do. So you've got this war going on in your body. Now, in Romans chapter 7, this internal consternation is set before us. In verse 17... Um, after making an argument for this, he's talking about, I do things that I don't want to do. Why do I do things that I don't want to do? And why don't I do things that I do want to do? You know, this battle is going on, and I'm doing things that I don't really want to do. And if you've stumbled in sin, you would know that I did that. I really didn't want to do that. Lord, forgive me, um, but I did it anyway. So in verse 17 of Romans 7, he says, Now then, it is no more that I do it. He's speaking of the new man but sin that dwelleth in me. And then in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, I know in me, that, that is in my, the flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, I desire to do the right thing. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Well, where's he looking? He's looking within himself. I desire to do the right thing, but I can't find the strength within me to do that which is good. There's no strength within me. Where do you look then to find the strength to do that? Why you would look to Christ um, to overcome sin or to have, keep you from sinning. So as you uh, drop down further on the page here, he says that, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So there's, there's these two parts within me doing battle, like I said, the flesh and the spirit. With the spirit I'm going to obey God, and with the spirit I have a heart and a desire and a love to obey God. But the flesh wants to serve the law of, of sin. In Romans 8.13, the Lord summarizes, he says, If you live after the flesh, you shall die. It's that simple. If you're a carnal person and you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds 
of the body, ye shall live. So just what is set before Cain there and Abel there, we see that one is pleasing unto the Lord, one is not. One is subject to the lust of the flesh, one's in bondage to sin, Satan, and the world, and the other one is, is not being a Christian. And so if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, in other words, if you continue to fight this battle through the Spirit, trying to bring your body in check, trying to rein in those lusts, then that's a good thing. That's what we are supposed to, uh, supposed to do. Then in verse 14 of Romans 8, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So it's the sons of God who are waging this internal war, a war where we would endeavor to bring our members in to, to serve God and not serve um, the lusts of the flesh. So God has set this before Cain. And we ask ourselves, well, how did that work out for him? Well, like I said, the very next verse, verse 8, he slays his brother. So why did he do that again? Well, again, he's in bondage to um, Satan, he's in bondage to sin, and he's in bondage to uh, the world. In uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord tells us this. In verse 12, he says, Not as Cain who was of that wicked one. He's of the wicked one, and who's the wicked one? It's Satan. So he's telling you he's of the wicked one. It says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. And so the righteous works were bearing witness against him, and the fact that God accepted Abel and not Cain, so he could see the manifestation of God's pleasure in the sacrifice, in the uh, works that he had done, and offering up a uh, righteous offering, a faithful offering. And so he was evil against, or uh, envious against his brother, and he hated him, and then he, uh, he slew him. Now, he's of, it says here that he's of, of the wicked one. Well, what does it say about the wicked one in uh, John chapter 8, verse 44? Um, in John 8, 44, the Lord is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes there, and he says, ye are of your father the devil. And so it was with Cain. He was of his father the devil, and the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he bowed not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And so just as Satan was a murderer from the beginning, so too was Cain. Cain murdered his brother. He was of the, his father um, the devil. Now, what can the saint expect in this world? What kind of patterns do we see? What can we appreciate with what took place with respect to Cain and Abel? Now, in verse 8, it says that Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Do you think you, as a representative of Christ, one who preaches the gospel, are going to receive a reception any different than the one that Abel received from his brother Cain. It says he went out and he talked with them. So what do you suppose they talked about? Well, they probably talked about the gospel. They probably talked about why I'm receiving blessings from the Lord and why you're not. Uh, they probably talked about what kind of an offering uh, that the Lord would receive. They probably talked about the way life was like before Adam and Eve, their parents, sinned. They probably talked about what life became for them and why there are flaming swords uh, by cherubim blocking the entrance back to the tree of life. Abel undoubtedly shared the gospel to his brother there. And so he no doubt shared with him that the wages of sin is death. And if you continue on the course that you're on, you will surely 
die. Well, for the saint, we can expect a very similar reception than uh, Abel received from his brother Cain. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, the Lord speaks about sending forth the disciples out into the world. And the field that we see in Genesis chapter 4 represents the world. The field represents the world. And the Lord says of Matthew 10, 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Why are they going to do that? Because they hate God. And Christ says, they hate me because they hate the one who sent me. And guess what? They're going to hate you too. And verse 18, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. When you preach the gospel, you are convicting people of their sin. You are testifying against them, and people don't like to hear that. And that's why you'll find so many Christians share the false gospel. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I've joked about this in the past, but that was a bumper sticker on the back of Noah's Ark. God loves you and has a wonderful life for your plan. No, he doesn't love everybody, and he doesn't have a wonderful life for everybody, but he does have a wonderful uh, life plan for all of his people, all of those that believe on him. Verse 19, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. No doubt the Lord impressed upon Abel a message that he should share with his brother Cain. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. Then in verse 21 here, he shares exactly what happened with Cain and Abel. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. The word brother appears seven times in um, Genesis chapter 4, the Lord really helping us to appreciate that these two were brothers. So, the brother shall deliver a brother unto death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. So, the Lord is sharing with us a great division that takes place that knows um, no bounds, if I can use that language, that it happens in families, it happens between brethren, it happens between parents and their children, that when one becomes a Christian, there is a separation that takes place because one is in the kingdom of light and the other one is in the kingdom of dark. One loves the Lord and the other one hates the Lord, and that, that um, generates enmity in the hearts of those that, that hate the Lord. They are going to hate you as well. And so it says here, they'll be delivered up unto death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved, meaning continues to uh, walk in faith. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone out, gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man is come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. In verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. And so we can certainly appreciate that Abel was like his Lord, was like his master, him being the first martyr. He was killed for his testimony, as was Christ. Abel is like Christ, his Lord and his master. And uh, Cain is like um, his father, the devil. The, the scripture telling us that, that he is of his father, the devil. So people take on the personality of their, um, of their head. Uh, that's a biblical principle we see play itself out in the world. Uh, Christ is the head of the church, and the body is conformed to his head. And I've seen that in corporations across uh, 
this country that the body of the corporation, the people in the company start to act like the guy that's running, running the uh, corporation. So it's a general principle. Satan's people begin to manifest uh, his characteristics of being liars and murderers and, and haters. And Christians, of course, take on the characteristics and attributes of the Holy Spirit, um, love. Now, so again, what happens here is Cain kills his brother Abel. And then the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Now, God knows where Abel is. To be absent from the body is to be present uh, with the Lord. So he knows where he is, but again, he's trying to bring forth a confession from, his, um, from Cain. Cain is not going to confess that sin. Cain is going to say, um, I know not. <laughs> he knows exactly where his body is. But as somebody who's unregenerated, I don't think that Cain knows that his brother is actually in glory. I don't think he appreciates what Abel understood, that, it's, that the uh, entrance into glory is through the grave. Now, how many times have you gone to a funeral and somebody's been preaching about the deceased and they tell you that, well, you know, they're in a better place. They don't really know that. Are they in a better place? Oh, they're up in heaven and uh, looking down upon us. Um, I assure you that if they are in glory, they are not looking down upon us because their eyes are fixed on the Lord. Uh, there would be no joy to be had in looking from glory down to this, um, I want to find a good adverb, uh, this mess of a place. Um, there's no joy in that because they see their loved ones struggling with this world, stumbling in sin, uh, suffering um, the violence that is associated with this world. Um, they'd be pining as to whether or not that person is going to become a Christian or not. I mean, there's no, there's no joy to be had in that. So when you're in glory, you are not beholding the foolishness on this world. And Isaiah says that the formal things, the former things, shall not be remembered, shall not be brought to mind. So when you're up in glory, then you are up in glory and you're beholding the face of the Lord. So the point I'm sharing with you here is that if Abel, if Cain, excuse me, if Cain can uh, cry ignorance in any respect, uh, it would be that, you know, I don't know where his... Spirit is. I know where his body is buried, but I, I don't know where his spirit is. But again, all things are naked and open to the eyes of with whom we have to do. So God knows exactly what has taken place. He's even telling him, tells him here that his blood crieth out from the ground. So he's telling him, yeah, I know where he is, and I know that you have murdered him. It is by your hand that he has been murdered. But his answer is, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, he certainly knows what that word means because his brother was the keeper of sheep. Abel was to keep the flock safe from harm. And uh, so he knows what that word means. So, no, he was not his brother's keeper. He could not keep his brother. He could not even keep sin um, out of his heart at, at bay. However, there is a keeper of the sheep, and that is Christ himself. In 1 Peter 1.5, it says that we are kept. We are kept by the power of God, through faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Christ keeps us in the way, and he keeps us on the path, and we will get to glory because he will keep all of his sheep. He says that, that no man can take them out of my hand. No man, um, all that the Father gives him shall come to him, and he shall not lose one of him. So Christ is the true keeper of the sheep, and he makes sure that every one of us gets to glory. However... Uh, as Christians, we, um, the Lord 
can and will work through us to help keep our brothers and sisters in the way. If you see a brother and sister that is sinning, what are you to do? Well, you would pray for them and you would talk to them and share with them the dangers of the path that they are taking, that they should take their covetous eyes off of that particular object, that they should not be looking over at that other woman over there because as the scripture says, can you take fire into your into your bosom and not be burned? Can you walk on coals and not be burned? And the answer is no. There will be a consequence for what you do. And so as a loving brother or sister, you would point them to Scripture and say, look what happened to David when he did this particular activity over here, that he, he suffered uh, as a result of that, not eternally, but he suffered the, the consequences on this earth for his sin. And there are consequences for sin, particularly for the saint in this temporal life, that if you engage in sin in this temporal life, you're going to struggle and you're going to have to deal with it, although not eternally so. So God has set forth uh, um, administrations to help us deal uh, and, and keep us in the way. Pastors are to keep watch over the flock, over the Lord's flock, and they have to give an account for those that are um, under the ministry at that particular location. And as, like I said, as brothers and sisters, we pray one for another. And Matthew 18, when somebody sins against you, why then you would endeavor to work it out with them, uh, with them personally. So the church is the organic body of Christ, and the Lord works through that to help um, keep us in the way. On verse 10, the Lord says that his blood cries out to me from the ground. What does Abel's blood cry out for? Why? It cries out for um, vengeance. It cries out for vengeance. And not only his blood, but the blood of all of the martyrs cry out for vengeance. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it speaks about um, those that were slain, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. In other words, people that were slain when they went out and they preached the gospel. And in verse 10 it says, They cry out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So the, um, the blood of those that have been slain cry out to the Lord. He certainly knows what has happened to them. And they are saying, Lord, how long before you uh, will um, avenge our deaths upon the earth? In Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 24, the Lord contrasts Abel's blood with the blood of Christ, for they both speak. He says in verse 24 of Hebrews 12, he says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that would be Jesus' blood, Christ's blood, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So what does Abel's blood say? It says, speaks about vengeance. What does Jesus' blood say? Well, it speaks of the atonement. It speaks about how man has been reconciled to God through that blood. It speaks of justice satisfied. So all of these things bear themselves out, of course, in terms of the, the sacrifice that Abel was making because blood was, was shed for it. So in verse 11, we see that he, uh, um, Cain is cursed from the earth which opened her mouth to receive thy blood from thy hand. So the Lord is laying directly on him the responsibility and the murder of his, um, of his brother. The Lord shares with us in Psalm 116, verse 15, that precious in the, uh, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Um, it grieves the Lord when any harm comes to his children. Any, you know, when he's 
the Lord is speaking with Saul of Tarsus. He says that, you know, why persecutest thou me? In other words, anytime a Christian is persecuted, Christ himself personally is being persecuted. So to slay Abel, to persecute Abel, is to persecute Christ himself. The Lord takes that personally upon, upon himself. So with respect to the curse that takes place here in terms of what the Lord says to Cain, he says, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. So Cain undoubtedly was trusting in his own works, trusting in his own labors to bring forth things from the earth, and the Lord is going to further frustrate that. He had already told Adam that thorns and thistles would come forth from the earth, but now he's telling Cain, You have trusted in that offering. Um, you have trusted in the labor of your own hands, and now it's going to be even worse for you. Now it's going to bear, um, bring forth even less for you. So in a broad context, what we're going to see here, and we'll uh, wind it up here, is that Cain is going to move further away from the Lord. It says that he goes out from the presence of the Lord in verse 16, and what does he do in rebellion is he endeavors to build a kingdom on this earth. So you begin to see the parallel kingdom of that which is built on this earth, and contrast that with what the Lord builds in heaven. So our deacon read for us this morning Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about Abraham looking for a city with foundation whose builder and maker is God. And what do we see Cain here do? Cain goes out and he builds a city on this earth, and he names that city after his son, just as God the Father builds a city and names it after his son. So we see these parallels, parallel um, activities take place. One is, again, the natural, one is the carnal, and the other is the spiritual. So as we move forward in our lives, we, we will look forward to seeing these things in the world. We see them as we move forward in Scripture, these general principles. But you have to appreciate in your life that um, it's important to trust in the Lord and, again, endeavor to reign sin in our mortal bodies through the strength of Christ, through the Spirit. Um, only can we do these things. Our strength, our flesh has no strength um, to overcome sin. And the Lord shared that with us in, in Romans 7. I look in myself and I can't find any means and agency to overcome the sin. It can only be overcome through the Spirit. So we look to Christ for all things. We ask Him to uh, keep us in the way. And um, we fight this war of sin, which we shall ever um, fight until such time as we go to the grave because sin dwells in the flesh. And there it will remain until uh, we go to the grave. Amen.